Hi, thank you for tuning in to the Finding Harmony podcast with me, your host, Harmony Slater. Hi, welcome to the Finding Harmony podcast. I'm so happy that you're here joining us today. We have an amazing guest. She's someone who is a soul sister to me. We have so many intersecting interests. Um, We love to talk for hours uh, outside of this conversation. Um, And we actually have never met face-to-face in person, but she's become a dear friend and someone close to my heart. We both have a passion for Formula One racing, which we don't actually get into on this podcast at all. And we also have a love of all things yoga, Ayurveda, um, philosophy-related, meditation, chanting. Um, We just share so many uh, interests and loves in the practice and in life in general, including food and fun and dancing. So I'm just excited to introduce you to our guest today, Zina Kalisperdis. She is of Indian heritage. She has an incredible family history, which um, we get into a little bit of here, an amazing grandmother and mother, super strong women in her family, as well as um, an incredible story of of her parents meeting and coming together and um, her insights into life and yoga and yoga teaching are just incredible uh, because she's had such an incredible background and heritage to uh, reflect upon and draw from. So you're going to just love this conversation. I know you are. And Zena and I could talk for hours, so we tried to keep it short, but I think it's a little bit of a longer one. We actually do talk for hours, believe it or not, um, even outside of this podcast. You can join us inside the Ashtanga Yoga Clubhouse every Wednesday. Uh, Zena, myself, and Greg Nardi, who has also been on our podcast before, show up and connect every Wednesday at 12 noon, high noon, on the West Coast Pacific Time, which is 3 p.m. Eastern Time or 8 p.m. in the UK. So on the Wednesday evenings after dinner in the UK, tune in on the Clubhouse app and join in on our conversations. We've been discussing the um, nine obstacles from the Yoga Sutras of Patanjali. We're almost finished with all nine of them. I think we're discussing the eighth one this week, this Wednesday on March 30th. Um, And after that, who knows where we'll go. But we love having you join and coming up to answer questions or share your insights or perspectives. It's very conversational. It's very open kind of conversation. It's kind of like being a part of a podcast. And the conversations are recorded, so you can head on into the app and uh, listen on your own time. Or if you are an Inner Circle member of the Finding Harmony podcast, which I hope you are, and if you're not, please DM me for details. Um, You'll get these conversations delivered straight to your inbox every week. So I'm just super excited to share this conversation that we're having with Zena here today. And uh, also an invitation for you to come and join me on Sunday, April 10th, 
um, for a spirit-centered self-care retreat. It'll be four hours of practice as well as uh, envisioning uh, what you would like to bring into being as we head into the spring here. It's a wonderful time to kind of stop and refocus after recentering ourselves um, and aligning ourselves with our spirit and what we'd like to focus on and how we want to move forward um, at this quarter point of the year. It's so incredible that we're already here at this quarter point who would have thought time would have just moved so quickly but it just seems to keep going and going so I'm gonna stop uh going and going at this point and let you dive into this interview with Zena um I can't wait to share it with you and please send us your comments and share it with your friends there's so many interesting things inside this conversation today so without uh prolonging any longer here is Zena. hi welcome to the finding harmony podcast i am so excited to have you all here with us today we are here with russell case <laughs> and- uh hey um we have a i I prepared an intro for today's show. I want to say your name first. No, I've got it right here. It's Zina Mohadeen. Zina Kalisperides. We agreed not to use that name. Kalisperides. Kalisperides. That's right. Pronounced well. But you're not Greek. No. (laughs) Who were you to say that she's not Greek? That's so racist. (laughs) She told me she wasn't Greek. Oh, she said that? Yeah. Okay. All right. Yeah, that would be my husband's surname right. <laughs> that I've hijacked. Yes. Purely for so, your purposes. I, and it means good evening, right? It means good evening from the, you from the just world learned that. era. I know. You I just know. learned that 30 seconds ago. I'm just updating our listeners in, on what I learned. To update our listeners, <laughs> uh, Zina Mohadeen is a New Zealand actress and singer. Oh, my god! She is gosh, best known you're... for her role as the title character in the television series Xena Warrior Princess. <laughs> it's but very also, true. But also portrayed <laughs> the news reporter Deanna Beers on the reimagined Battlestar Galactica series, which you introduced me to, Harmony. Wasn't she also in our other favorite series, our Marvel series? She was in that. She might have been yeah, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. In yeah. Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. She died yeah, in Agents of S.H.I.E.L.D. Uh, and Not also, Zena is also a UK-based uh, licensed dentist and yoga teacher. This is true. Very, very nice to meet you. And <laughs> nice to I meet really, you I really liked you in those shows. Oh, thanks so much. <laughs> the outfits yeah. were my favorite part. Yeah. yeah. And uh, you did, did you a get lovely... teased when you were a kid? Um... <laughs> being Greek? <laughs> no. For being the warrior princess. So, yeah, the first year at uni... Um, that show was really big. So every time I introduced myself in Freshers Week, it was, oh, I see the Warrior Princess. I was like, yeah, 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 yeah go with that. <laughs> that's yeah. not a bad thing. It's a, that's, yeah. that's kind of cool. It's like it's almost being called like a goddess. Yeah, it stuck. I had sort of crowns bought for me and tiaras for birthday <laughs> really? presents. Yeah. Uh, that's a good, that's a good. <laughs> that's yeah. hilarious. Yeah, appropriate. Yeah. yeah, that was my dress up for birthdays. Oh, good. That's so good. I love it. I have to apologize. Harmony decided to give the dog a squeaky toy right during the bloody interview. It's not okay. (laughs) That's not, you have, she has other toys. 
She doesn't not need. She doesn't need to have the squeaky. We're recording. <laughs> well, if we don't use the video, then we can just cut this out in the audio. <laughs> <laughs> but she is super cute. So you're a dentist. I am. Uh, well, I'm a qualified dentist. I don't practice. You're a qualified anymore. dentist. Yeah. But you did, you did, did practice, practice for about 10 years in the NHS. Oh yes. my God. Wow. Yeah. Wow. Long I, days. In I would have to think that the worst part is the halitosis. Like oh, you'd, you'd the think. constant source of dismay is the, you'd think that, but you'd think, you'd think. Actually, I, I, I wasn't so put off by it. I was actually okay with it. When I trained, I you trained at one of the hospitals. We wear masks. Yeah, exactly. Yeah. So that was always a thing from before it was a thing. Yeah. <laughs> um, but we trained, I trained at a hospital, or well, three across three hospitals in central London. And that is re- normally where general dental practitioners will send their worst patients to because they either haven't got the resources to send them. So you, you train at the deep end straight, you know, for five years. So wow. by the time we got into general practice, halitosis was not a problem but a little funny story around that was that I did have a patient once that came and he knew he was having an extraction that day so he thought well I probably won't be able to eat much afterwards so I'll I'll make sure I eat before I come and he said it to me he said I've just had my kebab and I think it was literally (laughs) just in the car before he came in and when he opened his mouth it was full of onion and parsley and bread and meat that I had to pick out I mean that was worse than any I'm always so self-conscious. I brush my teeth and well, I floss exactly. I don't want them to catch anything that's yeah, been in there. Yeah, exactly. You want to be able to, yeah. like, you want to think you're going to brush your teeth before you go to the dentist, but this uh, guy was no, no. Oh, no, I'm going to be a I bit don't hungry. have a stomach for that. I'm going to be a bit hungry late, just for a bit of stage. <laughs> my yeah. parents always used to tease me because in Canada, you know, you, a lot of our medicals covered, yes. but dentists are not covered. Yeah. And dentists make a lot of money in Canada. And so they're always like, you should become a dentist. So they always used to tell me that from a very young age all the time. And I hated going to the Did dentist. You? Mm. Hated it with a passion. That's always a sign not to become a dentist. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. <laughs> Whereas I loved it. I actually really? loved going to the dentist. I was so excited. Wow. I think because I didn't, I had good teeth, so I didn't have any problems. So I didn't have mm-hmm. the, any traumas associated with it. And he even asked yeah. my dentist to have braces. And he just looked at me and said, you don't need them. Why do you want them? I said, but they're cool, no? <laughs> <laughs> That's so funny. Wait, I got to tell one more dentist story. I have a dentist story. <laughs> I, I'm here. I'm just going to tell my dentist story. So I, have, I have an overbite. Yeah. So when I was younger, they were going to fix it. And my parents, of course, didn't have any money to pay for the dentist and the retrainer and all the braces and everything. And so they're like, just like try to make it less. So then I'd go into my like dental exams and my they take the x-rays and I'd like yeah. literally move my teeth. So it doesn't you'd, yeah, you'd so it doesn't fake it. I'd fake it. So it doesn't look like an overbite. Great. Oh. Great. Good for you. Do you well, as long as you're not in any pain. That was no, exactly. There you go. I think there are too many mouths that all look the same now anyway, and that was one of the yeah. things that I was going through in dentistry, you'd often have patients turn up saying, you know, with a picture of either Simon Cowell 
or oh, someone right. from or from someone you know someone who's from, from the Hollywood only, the only from... way is Essex <laughs> oh <laughs> the only way is Essex yeah and they would that... say I want to look like that I want teeth like that you know? I wanted to get vajazzled like the people from Essex <laughs> you know where you get your vagina bedazzled it's amazing <laughs> that oh was on gosh. the show and what show the only way is Essex oh. great great show never seen it high quality and I'm glad you enjoyed it. <laughs> getting um, getting your vagina bedazzled was the th like because you yeah. want it to look good, right? You know, sparkly, sparkly, attack attract attention because you're going to a lot of people are going to be seeing it. <laughs> Sounds like because you're from Essex. <laughs> mm. Don't want to look like a slag. <laughs> so you just stick some jewels on there. Yeah. Some jewels. Just a jewel, just a one or two. Yeah, get it. Oh, some, glit some glitter. Glitter glab. <laughs> you know, I've I've often um I've said to Harmony, speaking of bling, I've I've, I've often said to Harmony that if for any reason I should fall, you know, collapse, oh, pass on <laughs> the flag, you know, as soon as possible, get the gold tooth. You've got a gold out tooth? of my mouth. Get it out. The yeah. first thing that you do, don't let anyone else have it. Don't let like a mortician or the government get their hands True. on it. Don't They'll let anybody. Yeah. Yeah, they will. I've... You you remember the Holocaust? They took the tooth. They took the teeth <laughs> right away. And so like I've said, like get like, like Dr. Yui from Doom. <laughs> remember the tooth. Yeah. Remember the tooth. Remember the tooth. So I'm really, so I'm really proud of it. So I, I was, I've been told on occasion that it's like a work of art. The, the like, <laughs> and I didn't realize that some fake teeth are better than others. Well, it, it's, all, it's all about how much you pay for it, surely. Oh, I paid a lot for <laughs> yeah. it. Yeah, <laughs> no, I, I did. Mean, <laughs> definitely, gold is the gold standard in dentistry. Um, really, still yeah, people really think is. that. Apart from is its lack of aesthetics, gold, you know, is strong because you use an alloy, so it's a bit stronger than sort of pure gold, right. and and it's strong in thin sections, so you don't have to destroy as much of the tooth. Whereas if you have veneers or um, crowns, you have to destroy quite a lot of the tooth to make space for that extra material. So right. But wasn't yeah. isn't it oh. a crown in the first place? Isn't that what happened? Like they had to like it is a crown, yeah. Because they just they left a post there for weeks, yeah. And I just like I would tongue it like oh it's just a post, <laughs> that's nothing. There's nothing. Just fucking. And then they then they yeah they crowned it. But yeah. it's like it's yeah they said it was like really oh this is like well done this one beautiful. Like, well they might not be able to get it, it out then. Oh. <laughs> well, what is so well what is done. harmony what would harmony have to do to cut, get it out cut, is she just gonna yeah. just well, call me i'll come and get it out for you okay. if you're gonna be in england and like time is an issue like, time, we'll have to like, get on we'll have to schedule a flight quickly yes we'll do it <laughs> but no seriously she should I get can, a wrench i can zoom her i can zoom her i can guide her oh. yeah there we go so like do you like your first like a like a you can just make like a youtube it's like a YouTube video. Are we, yeah, are we talking time, about yeah. like a screwdriver or a pliers, pliers situation? A bit of both. But a flat, okay. oh. a flat, a flat-headed screwdriver could do it. Okay. Oh, no goodness. one do this at home, please. This is not good advice for wobbling your tooth out. Well, I mean, I'm dead. I'll Close be dead. Attention. You know, I'll be dead. So it's like, how? You know, what are you worried about? You'll be fine. You'll be desecrating <laughs> the body. Okay. I sort of imagine I would, I would really like to happen. I've talked to Harmony about this is that in, in the event of my untimely passing, 
I just would really like to have my body left in the woods. Aww. You know, like in, um, eaten by bears or or vulture, you know, <laughs> whatever's vultures, out yeah. there, you know, whatever, you know. Like and they then do we'll that come in... and find your gold tooth there and we'll know. Mm. Well, they do that in some parts of India, don't they? Just like put a platform up and they put the body up there. Do they? Gosh. Yeah. We're no. in um, Rishikesh. In Rishikesh, they, they have platforms <laughs> no. they put the bodies up. I read about it. Yeah. <laughs> I learned the bodies. Burn it. But no, some, some, there are some sex that they put the bodies up on the platform. I don't know about that. It's true. Yeah. I don't know if that's true. I just it know is... they burn the bodies so quick. Like if anyone dies in our family, we have to get on a flight ASAP uh-huh. <laughs> yeah. to go uh-huh. back to Mauritius to even be able to attend the funeral. In Mauritius, but I think no, the that's babies a... in Varanasi anyway, the babies, Varanasi, they yeah. don't. Mm. Oh, they, they leave that to be put eaten. put into yeah. the river, into oh. the Ganges. Well, that's going to get eaten. No. Well, <laughs> that's yeah. going to get eaten for sure. <laughs> yeah. Well, I think that'd be all right. If you would wrap me and put me in the elbow of and the river. And cows as well. Yeah, you find those in the river. <laughs> Yeah, Mauritius, is that, a, is that like an island? It is. It's just off mm. of the east coast of Madagascar, so east of Africa. Oh. Much closer to Africa than, than India. But, um, but it's was, an Indian island. Well, it was colonized by first, I think it was first colonized by the Brit, by the French, sorry, and then the British. Okay. But oh. it was first discovered by, I think, either the Portuguese or the Dutch. And it's where the dodo originates from. Oh my goodness! I didn't realize that. And so, by discovered, you mean like uh, destroyed the local population with disease and guns? Dodos, yes. Dodos. Only there were only dodos there. There were no people. (laughs) There were no people. So everyone that was brought over was either through sort of I think they call it indentured labor rather than indentured labor. Yeah. Yeah. Um, Yeah, yeah. But it's still a form of. You know, slavery. Yes. Slavery. Yeah. Yeah. We had we learned about that in school and in, in the states as well. A lot of people came over as indentured servitude. Yeah. You could, you just you do your seven years, which is a, you know prison sentence, right? and <laughs> yeah. then you're free. And then you're free. And you change your name to like Freeman. Yes. You know. Yeah. Like or Richard. Brown. Or yeah. 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 Brown. yeah, yeah. 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 Well, that oh. sort of happened in Mauritius. Not so much that the names were changed. I my cousins and I always argue around how you know. We weren't really slaved in those Indian populations in, in Mauritius, you know, because mm. we, we were allowed to keep our names, I think. I think that's a really important thing, the, the mm-hmm. important difference between the two groups, that we don't have that trauma of losing that level of connection to our mm-hmm. ancestry. We were allowed to keep our names. But when you would go and register your child's name, if they couldn't spell it, they would spell it how they would want to spell it. So, right? Yeah, 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 exactly. <laughs> you know, like Rengaswami would become Rengasami. Or, yeah, yeah, yeah. 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 Yes. So it's just however yeah. it spells, you know, sounded good in either the French or the the English tongue. Right. Oh, yeah. interesting. So they were. So that's how the variation started to come, and and the watering down of our our connection to India started. Right. I was yeah. surprised to hear that your your father. I, you you mentioned this. It was it really struck me because I you know growing up in in Louisiana and yeah. yeah. in New Orleans that you said that your father spoke Creole. My well, my. I speak Grandfather. Creole. Yeah, I speak Creole. You speak yeah. Creole. Yeah, yeah. That's the mother. I don't even the mother tongue of Mauritius. But I don't wow. understand how yeah. that can be a mother tongue of a because it's, to of me French, that's no? to me yeah. that's like a that's an amalgamation yeah. of different languages that are occurring um, locally yeah. in New Orleans. So we, is the base of it is French, um, mm-hmm. and then what's layered on top of that are the different languages is say from all the different regions of the world that the people in Mauritius have come from. So you've got Chinese, you've got 
Tamil, Indian with all its variations in there of Tamil, Urdu, Hindi, um, mm. Telugu. Your pronunciation of Urdu is amazing. It's exquisite. <laughs> of Telugu, um, some Marathi in there as well. Oh, and yeah. then, yeah, so it's, depending on who, where, what your background is from, your Creole will have different words within it, but the basis of right. it is French. So, yeah. So it's French with just a, like a little bit extra. Yeah. We'd call that lanyap. In, <laughs> lanyap. In Louisiana. Okay. Uh, yeah, a little bit extra. That's yeah, what lanyap. lanyap. Yeah. So it's French oh. with a little bit extra in it. Okay. Yeah. That makes sense. And we just met Our, some friends from Guadeloupe. I mean, some friends from uh, Hamish is from Guadeloupe. And yeah, it's so interesting to have a similar language as well over there in that part of the world as well. Oh, interesting. Yeah. yeah. But I'd, I'd have to think that if you spoke Creole in, in some parts of, you know, some parishes of, of Louisiana, that yeah. you wouldn't be understood properly. Probably not. No. Yeah. But interestingly, my mum and her sister, my mum's sister lives in northern France, and she said my mum and her sister said in the 70s when they were on a, they were just sitting on a beach, on a bench on a beach, and they were speaking Creole. And there's this, you know, old French guy sitting on the bench with them, and he turned around and said to them, where did you learn this dialect from? And they said, well, we're from yeah. Mauritius. And he said, well, this is an old dialect from northern France. Oh, wow. Wow. So, you know, language just carries across so many connections. You know, had he not understood them, he may not have, you know, and then they had a lovely little chat about that. So they had yeah. something in common that you would think three people probably wouldn't have had any in common between them. Just oh, brought them yeah. together. That's buku cool. <laughs> buku cool? Yeah, that's what we'd say that? in Slidell. That's, you know, ah, buku. That's buku very cool. Yeah, buku cool. cool. Yeah. That's buku cool. <laughs> Mitra's cool. Yeah. <laughs> 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 Just a little lanyap for our listeners. At home. Yeah. Wow. The, yeah, so, uh, so I speak Creole. Yeah. My grandfather, um, my mum's side, um, was actually his parents are directly from India. So when okay. they landed in Mauritius, I think my grandfather was born a couple of years later. Um, mm-hmm. They were still speaking Tamil at home. Oh wow! And taught him Sanskrit and Tamil, but obviously they, going. Uh, like so, Iyengar Brahmins speaking Tamil. <laughs> I don't know about Iyengar, but definitely not Brahmins. But we have this joke that everyone left India probably on a boat as the lowest caste and arrived in Mauritius as high castes, right? <laughs> 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 we're all, yeah. we're all right, li- literally all of us are like, we're the highest caste. We're the highest yeah, caste. Yeah, 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 yeah. <laughs> like, <laughs> who knows? like Anna Sorokin, yeah, landed yes. on the yeah, boat, yeah, like, high yeah, class. Yeah, exactly, yeah. exactly. Right. Yeah, completely right. in. We're all Brahmins. Self-made. Yeah. yeah. <laughs> I, you, you said this thing about your grandfather that was really interesting. Um, that, um, let's see, what did it say here? That uh, he, had, he, he, had, he hadn't yet suffered from the colonial brainwashing, but the implication mm. was that it, that it did come. Yeah. That he, what, is that, what did you mean by that? So for him, he was really connected to his roots and his stories. <laughs> the mate has gone. he was really he was really connected connected to to the old stories yeah so the vedas and the the upanishads and the bhagavad gita it was it was like they had conference every sunday you know the family would sit there was no tv they would sit and they would chat and explore and they discuss tell stories exactly yeah but and he would try and do that to my for my mom and her siblings and as i was growing up and as she would recall you know, recount the stories. Her and her sisters found it hilarious. They thought this was just all fake, and because they were right. growing up in French-led Mauritius, 
you know, so right. in schools, the only language you spoke in school was French um, or English, and you didn't speak your sort of home tongue or your, your mother tongue. Right. And it was just an embarrassment. So they'd, by that generation already, they'd started wearing European clothes. They weren't right. really associated, apart from at weddings or ceremonies, but the daily rituals had started to disappear. Yeah. And the connection to all these stories just seem like myths and, oh, they're not important. You know, the same stuff we mm-hmm. see in, I think, you know, in generations now. It's, totally. a, in, it's an immigrant uh, dynamic. <clears throat> Completely. Yeah, exactly. Amongst any immigrant, I think, you know. Right. Yeah. And you guys, you know, on that side of the it's, world, definitely. It's, it's why I don't speak Swedish or, yeah. or Hebrew or Yiddish. I, yeah, I, yeah. I speak a little Yiddish. I, I Would you want to learn? Would you want to go back and learn that? No, I'm too schmucky to <laughs> want to learn any more Michigan Yiddish. You know, it's, like, it's like, you know, it's crazy town. But, you know, Mushbuka is something that's really go. very important to me. <laughs> you, know. you picked up a lot then. <laughs> but I think that's, you know, that's what we see here now, that so many children, kids, you know, there's a whole generation, I think my cousins who are 10 years older than me, when they were born here, they, uh, my aunts didn't teach them Creole. Didn't, oh. you know, let alone Tamil. We didn't speak Tamil, but it, Creole wasn't even taught in the house. So they didn't even oh, wow. speak Creole. But I was so determined I wanted to learn. So oh, wow. I had to ask my parents. I think I was around five. I said, can you teach me? Because those oh. two next door, like my neighbors around me are all speaking their, their mother tongue or well, their family's heritage, oh, you know, lineage, cool. language yeah. at home. They were like, okay, we'll teach you. That's so, interesting. So there's yeah. there's something really interesting there about you as a person because you were also this kind of kid that woke up like um like Saint Alia or Leto the Second. You said impressively at two years old, I will be a doctor. I will be a dentist. Right? Yeah, it was. I think I remember I was I had playing with like a dent. I had a de- you know doctor's kit as we as yeah. kids do. And it wasn't like, oh, I want to be a doctor this week and, and next week I want to be a hairdresser and the week after I want to be a nurse or a you know a fire engine driver or whatever. It was, yeah. I, I want to be a doctor. And I, and I still feel that when I say that, like it was, it was here. It's because you're a good girl. Oh, <laughs> you're a good girl that wanted to do good. So you want to learn Creole. You wanted to be a, a physician. Like your parents My were physicians. My parents were like, we don't even have to bribe her to do this right. stuff. We right. Had, right. We haven't had to, She's we haven't had a to pay her. One. Yeah. Do you have siblings that hate so they, you for that? No, so they stopped, so they stopped <laughs> there. They were like, that's it. We've lucked out with this one. Let's just stay here. Right. Oh, you're an only child. Yeah. And you're a good girl. You're the Why good daughter. Why do you daughter. think that is? Yeah. Wow. Okay. <laughs> but I, I, I had my. I think I had my bout of rebellion. My parents would say, "Yeah, I didn't." You I became didn't. a dentist, for example. <laughs> well, <laughs> I didn't go into like yeah. I don't know. In in my friend who studied in the states, you have to do like pre med college or you know your, right. your course pre med, and over here we don't have to do that. We go straight. We can go straight into medicine or dentistry from A levels from school. But right. I, I yeah. flopped in my A levels big time. <gasps> oh oh no! Yeah. You've been, you were at the pub. Yeah, pretty much. Yeah, <laughs> yeah no, she was at the club dancing. I was at the clubs. Yeah, mm. we were just anything but studying. So yeah, um, yeah flopped. flopped. So I did not get in. So I went to yeah. study. But fortuitously, I went to study biochemistry, which I loved. Oh. You did. I learned, yeah, loved, wow. loved. I found it so much more intriguing than dentistry. It had a, such a it, because you're learning about the body at a cellular level. It almost felt yeah. mystical. 
had yeah 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 how the nervous system works how the vagus system mm-hmm. you know the vagus nerve that was so impressive from early on that this one nerve traveled around the body i remember thinking well, what does it do then yeah you know yeah. why is it there it's just sending messages and receiving messages. Well, <laughs> yeah. That's what it's doing all day. Yeah, yeah, Opening yeah. and closing. Opening why, and closing. You know, why is it connected to the heart, the gut, the brain, the face, the jaw, you know, so yeah. the diaphragm. It's incredible. The mula right? banda. banda. Yeah. 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 Why is yeah. it all there? Yeah. You know, you, you mentioned in, in your bio to us that you'd had a like a an interesting number of kind of revelatory mystic experiences you know kundalini openings let's mm. call them. and yet you had the kind of awareness of mind to sort of see what was happening to you through the lens of a biochemist or a bio yeah you know, a, a physician and i wonder if you could if you could talk about those experiences well, i think the first one probably was when i was i, I started practicing yoga my mom's practiced yoga from it from when she was about 15 in Mauritius, she was practicing shivananda yoga Oh, wow. So when we came, when she came to England, she would there was there weren't many classes, and she was training to be a nurse. So I don't think she had the time or the money, you know, or the access mm-hmm. to classes. So she just did what she could at home. And as right. I was growing up, I remember seeing her in in like shoulder stand and and plow. And at five and six, you can do that, right? It's just so easy. It's mm-hmm. playful. So I was doing yeah. all of that from a really young age. And then around mm-hmm. fifteen, I got introduced to Ashtanga. I, it wasn't called Ashtanga, but it was it was basically the postures and of sun sanitation A B standing sequence. Um, in school, we had a Wednesday afternoon class that was like personal studies, and every term it changed. And one term it was it was Ashtanga. Well, it was yoga, but the teacher happened to be teaching was, Ashtanga. Was that, Power yoga or something? Yeah, something like that. Yeah. Was that yeah, Vicky Scarlet? No, that, that was later? A, that came. She came a little bit later, but this okay. is another a school teacher, Mrs. Lee, and she well, that's we were amazing. there. In our kilts, practicing wow. <laughs> in our school uniform. I think the, you mean I'm, you actually there's there's skirts, but you called them yeah, kilts. Yeah, kilts. Well, we no, we wore kilts to school. Real kilts. Yeah. She was in North North England. But that's a skirt. Right? No, North London. North that's London. A, yeah, it's like a dress. Like, no, like kilts. So I'm I'm Scottish confused. kilt. A Scottish but kilt. Like, I yes. thought only men wore those. No. Yeah, but in schools in London, in England, a lot of the uniforms <laughs> we had kilts. But those are skirts. Yeah, but without a sport. They look like <laughs> they look like. But they look like dresses. No, they no, look they're like skirts. <laughs> you see, this is the gap in the British knowledge that, again, like something's yeah. just completely escaped me. And I think it's, I think maybe my ex-wife never wore a kilt. I don't know. <laughs> oh my god! Oh my. I would never have worn one either if I had the choice. Yeah, exactly. <laughs> Trust me, we would walk out to school and roll our skirts up because <laughs> you know, they were so long. But mm. we were doing yoga at that, you know, in that class. And then, so I'd, I'd had moments of like, real. I remember in that class realizing this is home. Like this feels so comfortable, so normal. So like I should have been doing this all my life. Mm. Oh, wow. And then I think it was about four years later when I met Vicky. Mm-hmm. And started practicing with her. I was about nineteen. I was about to start uni, or just started university, and I'd um, practiced with her. Uni. Um, just on a Sunday, actually, when I came home at weekends because her class was where my parents lived, and I was okay. in Guildford at the time. And then it was about two years in that I was in Manchester, in the sea. I remember, mm-hmm. and I just had this like energy rise through me, 
like I could have got up and started dancing, you know, like I was in a club. And then all of a sudden my head, and I was there going, but this is happening just from sitting here and breathing. Right. This is not induced by any illegal substances or anything. Like, how is this happening? So I think it happened really fortuitously at the same time. There was a real serendipity, Mm. a serendipitous sort of quality to me studying biochemistry and that happening at the same time that there was that, those two pieces of knowledge were coming together and I was being told they're not separate, right? This is not, these two things are not separate. They are one of the same and they're complementary to each other. You know, I was Amazing. I was thinking about your, your grandfather and these mystic experiences, and I was thinking about like Sri Aurobindo, you know, imprisoned mm. for for bombing yeah. a British consulate, and then suddenly having this mystic experience, and the yeah. the Vedas coming to him, or yeah, yeah, you know, Gandhi having a, a mystic experience and giving up his his law yeah. degree to to embrace his his spiritual spiritual life, and then going and studying the sutras mm. for the first time. But it sounded like the, the kind of the opposite was happening with your grandfather. He was like becoming more and more colonized. Um, I don't think he was. I think he was. He saw his children experiencing that. My okay. grandfather stayed very true and very close to his roots. Yeah, for sure, yeah. he did, and he was really strong about imparting the stories and the knowledge and the wisdom of the Vedas to his children. And and now, you know, my mum and her sisters will remember, and they they want to search back because they realize there's so many right. gaps in their knowledge. You know, yeah. from not wanting to embrace it for wanting to be part of a, or be accepted, you know, within culture, yeah. be accepted within culture, within school, within jobs, you know, to survive essentially, yeah. you know. Yeah, it's yeah. really interesting, like how there's been a kind of a movement, um, much more so in our time in history where people are really recognizing that history is important. Very. And roots yeah. are important. And I think more so than at any other time in history where it was really about trying to like fit in and the future is important, yeah. right? Rather yeah. than, than conform- the past. Yeah. An element of conformity, of acceptance, mm-hmm. of not wanting to be seen as different, you know, yes. not wanting to be seen yes. as other than, and because you'd be, yeah. you're not safe then, are you? When you're, when you're yeah. outside of the tribe, True. you're not, you're not safe. You could, you yeah. could be, yeah. you can end up in the woods with the, with the bears, right? Yeah. <laughs> or the, or the vultures, the vultures, or in our country, in the you know tied to the, to the front of a pickup truck. Yeah, in America. In America, yeah. excuse me, not in yeah, Canada. Yeah. Not in Canada. Canada, that doesn't happen. No. But, uh, in the states, you're co- you're constantly being dragged behind a pickup truck, <laughs> hung from trees. That's always yeah. a problem too. There. Yeah. yeah. It's too many trees is the problem. <laughs> That's what I think. Yeah. Get rid of all the get rid of all the oxygen. Yeah. Yeah. If you get rid of the trees. Yeah, but yeah, and the well, inbreeding—if we could stop inbreeding <laughs> in its tracks, then we could stop all the problems in America. <laughs> um, interesting. So, uh, the, it's it's so off, often also interesting. Like when when the when the grandchildren start picking up what the mm. when the grandparents are doing, and then there that's that's happening to you, and you're having these spontaneous yeah. mystical experiences, doing yeah. yoga, and then you like Gandhi gave up your your sanctioned Career. path mm. for a you know for for yogurt for yogurt <laughs> in many ways in many for ways for an yeah. uncertain future well sure, that's what you said right, right? You, you were one of those weird dentists that would prescribe uh, probiotics oh that's such a great link <laughs> yeah i didn't get that <laughs> 
so true. But yeah, yeah. But, you know, growing up, you know, my parents, you know, they worked, as I said, as nurses for 40 years and they worked, you know, around doctors for so long and they, they would pick up things that the doctors would tell their patients. And then I think, in the, you know, in the 60s and 70s, medicine was yeah. very different, very different. It was much yeah. more holistic than it is now. Um, yeah. And th- that sort of application of witchery, you know, witchcraft is, was still okay. Whereas yeah. by the time I got to, you know, working as a dentist, advising patients to take probiotics or we, we, had, a, we had a drink, you know, like a, a probiotic drink in the UK. A mm-hmm. couple of them at the time that were out on the market, very novel. And I was like, well, you know, take that before, you know, you take your antibiotics I'm like, what? And my colleagues are like, you can't say this. You can't say what? this stuff. This is this is madness. This is oh, just the insane. antibiotics are destroying their gut biome. <laughs> no, it, <laughs> heaven, forbid, heaven forbid that they would be ever known to be doing that, you know. Um, and I think that, you know, because we don't have to do a, a, an undergrad before you get into dentistry, a lot of people go mm. in straight from 18, you know, they're green, you know, right. they're really fresh. Yeah. They just go in from biology A-level to and, you know, chemistry A-levels to straight to dentistry without much life experience, you know, in between. Mm-hmm. And so, of course, they become dentists in the same vein, without, still without right. much life experience. And, the, right. you know, the, the system through which you, you're taught is a pharmaceutical model. So you yeah. just adhere to that. And anything else outside of that is just, you know, just nonsense. Yeah. yeah. You know, and fast it's- forward 20 years, I mean, probi- <laughs> probiotics and prebiotics, you know, you can't, I don't, the you can't get away in, from them these days. There are too many, yeah. you know, the shelves in, in all house. the shops are just, you know, yeah. filled to the brim with them. So, yeah. 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 And we're all it's, taking them. Again, it's like kind of come full circle, right? Like of this time, I think in like the 60s and 70s where people were like more interested in like natural health and these, I mean, the natural health movement really started, but then there was sort of, you know, the maybe the eighties. <laughs> there was a resistance like, to it. Yeah, there was a, like a dark period. It. Yeah, yeah, and maybe that does happen every few. You know, every couple of generations. You know, Russell, mm-hmm. you point out that connection between grandchild and grandparent. You know, and yeah. I think mm-hmm. if you have that relationship, you see that with your parents, you're very resistant to what they're telling you. When yeah. grandma right. or grandpa tells you to do something, it's oh, that's interesting, or that's sweet, or yeah. Yeah, yeah, yeah. there's a slightly different delivery maybe there. In, totally. in the same way that our grandparents were sort of anti-fascist and were Antifa, like we're also sort of Antifa in our family, you know, mm. whereas yeah. our parents... it's all right (laughs) I think you know to some extent you know if I hear my dad speaking sometimes you know he you'd be like you should have joined the national front at some point (laughs) you know it's an age thing generation they're like well if you came here to work then that's okay but if you didn't then you shouldn't be here you know right and I think it I think it comes from a you know from a place of like you know, we worked hard, we, you know, yeah. contributed right. and so totally. everyone else should do the same. And it's like, yeah. well, actually, yeah. not everyone had the same opportunities, even though you created those opportunities for yourself. Yeah, yeah, yeah. You know, you it's were supported. It's not fair. It's not always it's not, fair. It's not a fair system, it's right? It's not a fair system. So, yeah. you know, even though it was hard for them to come to the UK and leave their families and maybe take loans to even take a, to get an air ticket to come mm-hmm. to London, right. it, that was still available. And it wasn't out of force, like a refugee status or having right. to leave somewhere. Yeah. There's a, I have an example of that, that um, there's a lot of talk now about in the United States of, of, you know, the progressives wanting to forgive student loans. 
and it always and I was like, yeah, that's a that's a good thing to do. It is an oppressive system. It it, it, it creates uh, enormous uh, debt indentured servitude. Yeah, yeah, yeah. And uh, where you can't make the same choices that a you know a free loving 60s hippies can make because they don't have a lot of student debt yeah you know because education was free in the yeah. 60s and you know relatively speaking yeah and so i had a, a hundred thousand in student loan wow that i was quite lucky i met a very wealthy woman who helped me get out of that debt yeah. by giving me an employment highly overpaid yeah. yoga oh, job that's great right and then I said, well, I paid off that debt. I worked for it. Mm. Like, mm. I was really fucking Lucky. privileged. But you still turned up really to that job. Really fucking. Right? You yeah, still turned up, up to that job. job. Yeah. You still yeah. turned up and yeah. you still did what you need to do. I think it's important. From well, The way I look at it is that we shouldn't um, penalize if, ourselves if we've been privileged. We shouldn't look mm. at it as something that we should... Um, um, feel bad about feel it. bad about yeah but we should honor that it's a position of responsibility acknowledge, it. acknowledge that that, it, yeah. that to have privilege is a, is a to be in a position of responsibility how do we pass that on how do we share yeah. that that doesn't necessarily mean money it can be don't give don't give the man a fish give him a fishing rod you know yeah, 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 yeah. You know, let yeah. him feel yeah. let the person feel supported within themselves they have the skills to pass that on as well yeah. Yeah. I love that. You know, so. Were you born in London or yeah. did you? Yeah. Yeah. I was and you're born in London. Yeah. So your parents moved to London and then you were born. Yeah. So they met at nursing college. Um, nice. And are they both so, from Mauritius? They're both from Mauritius, but my dad's Muslim and mom's Hindu. So when oh, they wow. when they got married, they were completely disowned by their family. I don't understand how that can work. <laughs> That's incredible. <laughs> That's amazing. <laughs> But like when they met, surely they exchanged last names. <laughs> and or, it was like, so, or everyone else around them told me, do you know he's Muslim? You don't know she's yeah. Muslim. <laughs> <laughs> I'm sure I could just hear that. What was that like? You know he's him? Muslim. Yeah, yeah exactly. Um, oh, I think wow. It, you know, I don't, they don't talk much. They're very, they're very private people, my parents, actually. And I have to Whoa. really ask them stuff. But yeah. wait, when that... I do ask them, they do share. Yeah, sorry, Russell. No, I'm I'm being a I'm being allowed, and I was just saying my my stepmother doesn't speak English, and it Ooh. really helps their marriage. <laughs> it's like they they don't speak. That's what I thought you meant. They don't no. speak no. much to each other, and that no. can really help. No, my mom speaks way too much. My dad would say, but <laughs> <laughs> um, but they don't speak much. Well, they don't speak much about their their the trials and tribulations and the, the, the yeah. passages of, of struggle that they may have gone through. Yeah. But if I ask them, then they, they ease it out. It gets eased out right. of them, but they, they mm -hmm. tend not to want to focus on that. But yeah. so, the, you know, when I have asked them about it, it was hard. Of course it was hard. They were, you know, their families didn't really want to know. They didn't want to know when they were getting married. They just had oh. their two friends as their witnesses at their wedding, wow. you know, yeah. no family support whatsoever. Wow, that's yeah. incredible. Yeah. That so was on both really sides. Paid. Both sides both. of their families were both like, you're crazy. Yeah, yeah, you no. Know, you're, 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 a dis you're a disgrace. You know, you're a disgrace yeah. to the family. You know, but was... love, love ruled. But they must have come back. They because did. Because you right. have such a nice relationship with your grandparents. Yeah, my, um, mm. it was actually my mum's brother-in-law, her sister's husband. So the same sister mm -hmm. who lives in France. Her husband had found out my mum was pregnant with me because oh. um, one of my mum's friends was still close with her, one of her sisters. And yeah. 
he traveled over to from France and stayed with my mum's sister in London and said, oh, I'm just, he used to be, he used to work on the ship. So everyone knew he was used to just traveling whenever he wanted to. Right. And he said, oh, I've just come to see you for five days. And he would just say, oh, I'm going to see this friend today and I'm going to go and see that friend today. And in fact, what he did was find out where my mum lived, where my dad lived. And yeah. he sat at the bus station in the sort of the local bus depot, central bus yeah. depot for three days thinking, well, I'm going to bump into her. Like she's going to have to go <gasps> and do something and she's going to wow. have to come through here. That was, oh. a faith. that was a faith that he had, that he would bump into oh. her. And then he did wow. bump into her and he said, well, we've heard you're pregnant. So it is what it is, but you're not going to be on your own. We're not leaving you on your own. So, Wow. Have, yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. So for oh me. Oh, my gosh. That's, yeah, that's so amazing. gift that I've always had in my life. Hmm. Yeah, yeah. You brought your, your grandparents oh. and your parents back together. Yeah. Yeah. That's beautiful. Yeah. Yeah. So my mum's side of the family, I think there was only sort of one member that still for a very long time didn't accept my dad, but on my but the rest of both sides were just so loving. So I never I never mm. witnessed much of that apart mm. from one one uncle, but um that sort mm-hmm. of disownment and yeah. um and intolerance, you know. Yeah. How do you think that that's like affected you and your sort of views of the world and and religion <laughs> and religious experience? Do you think it's? I think I grew up very yeah. tolerant. You know, I'd like to say very tolerant. You know, and tolerant in the sense of yeah. I saw that despite so many differences, my parents worked so hard to focus on their similarities, mm. and rather than see the differences, they saw every part of their life that overlapped and was similar and that they could draw from to share their experiences from and to share that, to show mm-hmm. me that through shared experiences, we grow closer to each other. Yeah. And that actually the more you look at different people, the more similarities you see. As I was mentioning before, Mauritius has, you know, such a mixed culture. We've got, you know, Chinese Mauritian, Creole Mauritian, sort of African Mauritians, and then Indians mixed, whether that, you know, a mixture of all of that. And, we all say we're Mauritian and so we you know we all speak the same language and there's that commonality whether that's rum or dance you know the national dance or biryani or the beautiful thing is that whenever there's a sort of a religious ceremony at a festival whether it's Christmas or Diwali or Eid um, or Chinese New Year it's a bank holiday for every single one of those religions yeah beautiful that's so so nice I think I'm very lucky to have been brought up amongst that. And then mm-hmm. also, you know, having had aunts and uncles from different backgrounds, different na- nationalities as well. Mm-hmm. Yeah, just always felt very wholesome in that yeah. sense. But it's, oh. not, it's not always the case. You know, there's, there's lots of animosity amongst certain people in Mauritius as well, which, you know, sure. certain groups, which you just have to accept and, and hope that, you know, everyone works through it. Yeah. Mm. Yeah. Yeah. <clears throat> I think in 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 Great Britain that um I'm just going to blurt this out, I think. And <laughs> I think in, in Great Britain uh, you would be you would be considered black. Uh Asian, Indian. You're considered yeah. Asian or Indian. Yeah. Yeah. So actually I've I've heard I th- okay, I'm I'm, I'm mistaken then because I I thought that uh, people of color were often grouped as as black people in in Great no. Britain. I'd heard that That's- different definitely different like if you're going to tick one of those lovely forms and tick your ethnicity it's probably in indian other or some british indian other that's okay you know i I think maybe when i was there 20 years ago i remember seeing an an indian uh or sub 
can I say subcontinent? Yeah. A subcontinental on TV. And he was a member of a black coalition. And they said, yeah, we're, we're, we're black. And I was like, oh, that's different to me. And I think maybe the, maybe they made more of a, maybe they make more of a distinction now. Maybe, maybe, you know, there wasn't so much talk. I don't know how long ago, you know, 10, 15 years ago. I don't think the discussion of race had the same platform. People were obviously trying. It's always been there. It's always been a focus for, for us living it, mm-hmm. you know, on a day-to-day mm-hmm. basis. Mm-hmm. But um, it definitely hasn't been as prominent as it has been in the last two years. You know, the last two years, I think we've seen such a shift mm-hmm. in the way we address race and address it with a lot more importance, I think. And mm-hmm. racism, not race, racism. Let's, you know, just you mean, say what uh, it is. Progressively. You know, it's, progressively. It's really? Yeah, I don't know if it's, I think it's just, People are having more conversations. People who would say, "Well, I'm not racist, but <laughs> <laughs> you know, uh, are starting, are starting to question the but. You know, are starting yeah, to yeah, say, you know, mm, what is the yeah. but about? What what am I really saying here with the but? Mm-hmm. Yeah, you know, or people who you know, I have a, again a wonderful extended God family, and you know, and and we were having discussions about how how I'm perceived, you know, they're like, but, but we just see you as you. And I'm like, yeah, but you, if you don't want to if hear what I go through, then you don't really know, you know, mm-hmm. who I am. And it's mm-hmm. like, but we, we don't see you as anything else as other than just our family. And I, I, I get that, but, you know, it's, <laughs> <laughs> but, but you know, there, there are things that I experience or I have experienced that, you know, for you to be aware of it means that you will stand up for it perhaps because you, you're so caring about, about me, you wouldn't want to see me go through that. So when you see that happening to someone else, you'd be more aware that that's actually racism that's happening. Mm. And yeah. I think that's really starting to land that that concept of actually that's not acceptable. You know, that yeah. sort of language or that yeah. differentiation I, is not acceptable anymore. Would you say but, like with you, like with your husband because he's Greek, yeah, so yeah. he looks very white. <laughs> yeah. So you must have experienced a lot of. I mean, maybe not a lot, but some instances of things going on. Yeah, but I mean, even uh, as I said earlier, we live in West London, which has quite a a high Indian population. And so whenever (laughs) we'd be walking around in Ealing, for example, and the old Massies are there, you know, they'd be looking at us like, (laughs) and still it's the same, I've just had another look. (laughs) Yeah, right, yeah. You know, but equally in Cyprus, when we go to see his parents, you know, I remember recently we were on a British Airways flight and it landed like one in the morning and all the English people were just ushered in and through right. didn't even look at their passports and they stopped me straight away to look at my passport. Yeah. Right. I was yeah. like, oh, okay, I get it. But carry on, off you go. You know, <laughs> yeah. What are you going to do? Yeah. You know, yeah. And it, it's and subtle things noticed. sometimes, isn't it? It is. And he said, you know, had I not been married to you, I would not have noticed this stuff. And it's not mm. because right. people, um, are racist it's just because it's not in their ve- field of vision yeah you know it's not in their immediate experience yeah, it's not exactly. happening to somebody that they love or to themselves so so i think the more blind we mix, spot yeah the more we mix the more we amalgamate together and mesh together the more mm-hmm. we see that and we don't want to see that when it's happening to people we care about like you say and people we love yeah so then we'll stand up and maybe say actually no that's that's not right we won't tolerate that yeah, it's interesting yeah. you use the word amalgamate because it's that reminds me of how uh, <laughs> we had the word um, fillings. melting fillings. Yeah, yeah, 
feelings. You know, you know, I was I was thinking of the word melt of the melting pot, and there is always this talk in in school. Oh, you know, the United States is a melting pot, which is to say that all of the ethnicities that come to the United States will become fused into one like little fascist structure. <laughs> you know, like a bounded twigs, you know. And, uh, but actually I think like the word jambalaya is much more appropriate. Yeah. Like we're, yeah. we're in a mixture yeah. together and we have these, we have these very unique differences and these values are going to remain different. Yeah. Or a kitchery. A yeah. kitchery. A kitchery, yeah. 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 Oh, the, the jambalaya has a lot of ingredients, right? So more than yeah. kitchery. And, <laughs> And so, like you know, it uh, because you ha it's so very difficult to talk about yeah. very important values mm. that you hold different. For example, that you know, I you know, I want to take on credit to buy a car, and Harmony doesn't. <laughs> if deeply rooted, deep set value differences that are going to mean that we're in conflict. But I mean, that happens, of course. <laughs> cultures right that's not just <laughs> within, and within same cultures you know i think that's not yeah, just, that's yeah. an ethic and moral thing that you kind of maybe need to discuss before we get married you know <laughs> what's your or stance go on air on, yeah yeah what's your stance yeah. on taking up finance you know but i always yeah. say like when i look at my parents as much as they have their you know they've tried to focus on the similarities there are certain things that they really focus on and my mom's like when i die i want to be cremated yeah. My dad, my dad's like, when I die, I want to be buried, you know, because right. that's that's the Islamic yeah. way and that's yeah. the Hindu way. Right. And they're both very on par with the fact they're going to honor each other's wishes to well, the That's team, nice, you know, yeah. and that's the way it works. That's and they the don't demand of the other that they do it like the way that they do it. No, and also they didn't have the ceremony, probably financially as well. They didn't have each other's ceremony, so one didn't have to do the other. Right, they um, just had a legal ceremony. Yeah, which was beautiful. But when my husband yeah. and I got married, we I had a Greek ceremony. We had a Greek ceremony and we had a Hindu ceremony. So we did both. Nice. Oh, yeah. Nice. Yeah. I I know lots of people who do that too, have when they come from different cultures with different like wedding ceremonies, instead of trying to just combine them into one, then they just have two. And we just we just had seven days of my big fat yeah. Greek wedding and my big yeah. fat Hindu wedding, <laughs> which is pretty much like the same Hindu same wedding, kind same of wedding. exactly. Yeah. <laughs> and the two the two families were all saying, "Oh, yeah, this is the same as us. They're just doing the same thing. Instead of walking around the fire, they're walking around a table, and instead of being tied oh. at the waist, they're tied at the head." <laughs> Yeah, it's beautiful actually to see that. Yeah. Like in mirror. Yeah. So again, two a, cultures that would have thought they're yeah. not similar at all are so brought together as seeing each other so yeah. similarly. Yeah. We did some yeah. kind of Scottish rite, didn't we? Which was surprising. It's like to Scottish me. Wiccan. Cool. I don't know. We did <laughs> Made some up. Kind of tying yeah. of a cloth. Yeah. Nice. It's like, wow, this is really yeah. like a kind of Scot Scotland. I think, <laughs> I think uh, Jewish. Ceremonies happen. You mm. break a bottle, didn't you? You did a glass. You, you Jewish, sure. To do that. I'm sure yeah. something got broken. <laughs> you, uh, you were not intact, as I remember. <laughs> um, I, we have an important question uh, that you wanted to bring up, and actually, I was surprised as I was writing down the questions, like thoughts about uh, cultural appropriation were coming up. And then I read down to the bottom of your bio that you also wanted to talk about appropriation. Yeah. Harmony does not. She doesn't like, to, like But you and I both really wanted to get into this. And I thought, 
I have a kind of. I didn't say that because did. I don't read the many things, times you've but... said to me like I don't want to talk about it. And it's like no. I say it in general. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> it is a tricky subject. It is tricky to navigate. I think it's because we don't know. We don't have the language. Perhaps we don't understand. We don't. And it, it, I think, again, it comes down to sitting down around a fire and listening to people, you know, and understanding yeah. what triggers people, what doesn't, um, what may trigger someone, may not trigger somebody else. And that's, I think that's where the sort of the difficulty in understanding that, that minefield lies. Mm-hmm. So language is really important. I like, I like the idea of listening and having conversation. I feel like this labeling of things all the time is really... Not healthy. Not helpful. No. <laughs> No, I agree. Because it's like it's like a stereotype, which, you know, is kind of a shortcut. It's like a shortcut to your brain. That's yep. all language. Into saying like, oh, this is that thing. That's that. And it's like. That's every single word and so is that's, that. I know, but that's always mm. my problem with like the, you know, cultural appropriation. Yep. It's like throughout history, from the beginning yep. of time. Every culture has appropriated every other culture to a certain extent. So how far back are we going to go? You know, I think there's a there's a limit to, you know, where we talk between appropriation and, and appreciation. I think that's the, the sort of mm-hmm. the boundary that we, we sort of start to filter through. And, exactly. it's, and it's where people have suffered, you know, and I think if we're going to be a civilized group of people, you know, if we're claiming mm-hmm. to be so evolved, then it's okay. Surely we have the capacity then to start exploring these wider yes. contexts and wider cultural sort of conversations. And for me, I think wherever there's been harm, you know, we're rooting it back down to Ahimsa, right? We're rooting mm-hmm. it right back down to the first principles of yoga. Mm-hmm. What we do, if we're causing harm, we should not do. Simple. Yeah. You know, and yeah. if we can learn that and we can have conversations about what causes harm, which is appropriation. I mm-hmm. I think making money off of something that you've taken from someone else and not sort of um, recognize that that's where the source is from or paid mm-hmm. some context back, whether that's financial or, you know, just driving business back to them. Mm-hmm. I think that's wrong. I think if you're appreciating it and then even if it's just a case of, you know, referencing your source and saying I've learned from these people this is the lineage I'm from that I've learned from Mm -hmm. and and this is what I'm adding to it Mm -hmm. but I recognize that it comes from this lineage or from Mm -hmm. this source then it becomes more of an appreciation and a and an evolution you know we all know yoga's never been the same from when it was first created there's so many iterations of it so many sects of and different ways of practicing Mm -hmm. um but the ones that don't stay true to the roots of it, I think, you know, in terms of it's what is it we're trying to explore? What is it we're trying to, you know, stay connected to? That's when I think it starts to become appropriated rather than appreciated. But that's what it was really interesting to me was you talked about in your bio this story about walking into Eileen Hall's yoga mm. studio in Australia, in Australia, in Sydney. And you felt, you said that you had been transported to India. Yeah. <laughs> and so but so it was interesting and it, and you said that it meant a lot to you that Eileen was using Sanskrit terms to teach the yoga and and knew the yoga sutras and knew the terms in Sanskrit and not and not using the English term for like yeah. you know upward facing dog or something yeah. like that. Adomukha Shanasana yeah. or something like that. Shwanasana. And Shwanasana. um <laughs> and so it was but it's fascinating to me because 
you're not in India, you're in Sydney. Mm. And so, and she's not Indian, she's Australian. And so by definition, it is a construction. It's a, it's a fabricated um, situation, situation yeah. Yeah. where you've been, where you feel though, that you yeah. feel that you've been transported, which is to say that you feel that there's something authentic about it. Yeah. And so it, it's so ineffable. And I wanted to hear your, your, your more of your feelings about it because there's a, there was a point there, as you said, where it stopped being appropriation and it started being authentic and mm. appreciation, as you said, which I thought was really lovely. I think it boils down to someone's intention, you know, mm. and not just intention and how much they've devoted themselves. You, I mean, you guys probably know Eileen and you know, how much time someone studies at the source mm -hmm. and, and devotes themselves. And she loves India. Like she mm -hmm. loves and lives and breathes the teachings of mother India. Mm -hmm. And that to her is the, what she wants to share. And so it doesn't come from a place of I'm doing this because it's cool. I'm doing it because mm -hmm. it's fashionable. I'm doing mm -hmm. it because it's going to get me Instagram lights. You know, it's far <laughs> from it. You know, she's not, mm -hmm. she's not done the archetypical pictures outside of a temple, you know, covered in mm -hmm. ash uh, just to get the likes. You know, she's mm -hmm. there living, breathing it and saying, I remember when some beginners came into the room and she started just talking to them with the Sanskrit terminology. So today we're going to start you on Surai Namaskara A and B. And, you know, we're going to be looking at your bandas and your dristies. <laughs> oh, my God. As a beginner, I'd be like, ah! And, 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 you know, just talking about, you know, and we, we base this on the yamas and the niyamas. <laughs> and she was throwing all this stuff at them. And afterwards we were going for chai. We were going for tea afterwards. And I said, I mean, I found that interesting because at the time, this is 2016, I remember – I was going into oh. studios and it was just, there was no Sanskrit. Like it was just only Ashtanga, right. like yeah. literally only Ashtanga classes. It felt like we're using any, any Sanskrit. Right. Yeah. Maybe yeah. the odd chanting. And then it's, again, it mm -hmm. felt very sort of sugar, not coated, but just, mm -hmm. was, yeah, the, the classes were being sugar coated with, with, with Sanskrit, but not for any real purpose or reason. Namaste. Or intention. Yeah. <laughs> namaste. <laughs> Always, always. And I remember the odd loka samasta sukino bamantu at the end, you know, right. let us all be in peace and off we go. Yeah. Um, shanti, shanti. There was shanti, actually shanti, shanti. studios. I don't know if it was the same in England, but in Canada, there's actually studios that no said no Sanskrit. Yeah, yeah, yeah. We had a few. Yeah. 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 And they thought yeah. that was really cool. So Eileen, I said, to her, so Eileen, I was, I was intrigued. You know, I thought well, this woman's got some balls, right, to be doing this, right, to be going so mm -hmm. against the grain. And she said, Zina, if they are scared by a little bit of a foreign language, then they are not ready for yoga. Mm -hmm. And that has always resonated with me so much that I still feel we have to, as a teacher, I choose to walk a fine line. I kind yeah. of think, am I going to do more harm than good by speaking to them with this language that might put them off yoga? Probably. You can translate. <laughs> but I, so what I do is I use both yeah. words and I say, yeah. I'm going to use the English and I'm going to use the, the Sanskrit. You know, and yeah. I use both and I say, okay, well, yeah. and if I see someone struggling with it, then I'll move more towards, okay, let's stay with the English for now. And then we'll move on. The doorway to the totally. Sanskrit is always still open, but we can always modify it to, to, be, to make it accessible. But I think to yeah. take it away completely, I think that's where we start losing the essence. I, we had, mm -hmm. um, we have a friend who, um, I think he's a bass player. And he, but he's, he's, he's from Greece, but he's lives in New York now, but he studied 
all around India for about six years, learning traditional classical Indian music and all the traditional mm-hmm. classical instruments. Mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. And he, the way he spoke about Sanskrit as a mm. musical instrument. Mm. Ah, beautiful. And, and how it marries up with the science of the vibrations throughout the different yeah, parts of yeah. the body and the brain. Yeah. It just feels like, again, such a disservice to allow that language to go. And you feel mm. it when you're hearing, when you're in a lead count, class, led county class, and you hear, mm. you know, there's that rhythm that takes mm-hmm. you through your practice. It is so much more than just words, right? Yeah. It's yeah. an energy, it's a vibration, and it's yeah. something that just lifts you yeah, and carries you and supports you. Yeah. You know, that was actually maybe one of the First, it was one of my very early experiences in a traditional Ashtanga yoga class. Um, and Lucy Madarala was teaching. Um, and she taught the whole class full vinyasa, primary series. And she used only Sanskrit. So even inhale, exhale, purvaka, chaka, wow. all the Sanskrit numbers, all the postures in Sanskrit, that's it. And it was like a magical incantation. It was, it was the most beautiful thing I'd ever heard. And I I think that that really pulled me into it because I was like, this is magic. Like she's casting a spell on the class. Like it felt like that. Yeah. Yeah. It was incredible. And I've never had anyone else teach a class like that in all of my experience of yoga. (laughs) <laughs> they don't they speak in English even the yeah. counting one, one two, two three she only did Sanskrit the whole time oh, it was beautiful. so beautiful and it is so powerful you know when you chant mantra when you mm. I remember actually going back to my Vicky the the teacher that I was starting to learn Ashtanga mm-hmm. with oh, she, Vicky um, Scarlet. Vicky yeah. Scarlet, she, you know I remember being in maybe Utita Hasta and, you know, I was struggling with my balance. And out of nowhere, Om Namah Shivaya just came to me. Like, I wasn't used mm. to mantra being associated with, with asana. And mm-hmm. Om Namah Shivaya just came and it started to really stabilize me. Or I became more mm. stable. And that's when the, mm. that relationship, again, started to intertwine. That the mantra overlays with the asana. That the asana overlays with mantra mm. and breath. And it all works together. And you, yeah. can't, you can't divorce them from each other. You know, mm-hmm. and still, I think, and still call it yoga. I have, I have two interesting thoughts about that. I mean, the, the first was Om Namah Shivaya, which came to me when I was having my appendicitis in India. <laughs> I thought I was going to die. Maybe I that's said, well, I if thought. I'm going to die, I, I better go to Shiva oh, or yeah, something. Yeah, yeah, so yeah, like, yeah, yeah. Shiva better come and save me. I don't know. One or the two, but that's who I'm appealing to at this point. <laughs> I was chanting Om Namah Shivaya for yeah. hours, lying on the bathroom floor, vomiting and everything. Um, so I have a very uh, <laughs> special connection <laughs> with that mantra. But also, I'm curious about this because there was a time in Mysore when, you know, sometimes you're in that room and it's so uh, busy and there's so many people and like so much going on. And if you're not starting sort of first thing in the morning and you're coming into mm. a room with everyone already practicing and in their, you know, zone. Yeah. It's kind of hard sometimes to like create your little bubble. <laughs> but- um, and so I would, I actually started chanting. I mean, I've done, I've chanted internally different mantras at different times, but this one period I was really um, going through the prayer of St. Francis of Assisi. 
Oh, wow. Which, of course, is English and Christian, but it was really beautiful. It was really incredible. And so I'm curious, like, what your thoughts are about that? Like, I mean, I know there's something special about the Sanskrit and India and the mantra and the connection to yoga. But what about like this uniting or this combining of different sort of traditions? I think think you have to tune in to the essence of whatever it feels good for you. Hmm. And if it draws you to that space, then go with it. If Mm -hmm. the gateways to Sanskrit are not open then find another gateway that takes you to that place, to that place mm-hmm. of stillness. And I think that can happen in any shape or form, whether that's Islamically, you know, in any of the Judeo-Christian yeah. religions, anything that brings you towards that inner space. And like you say, just withdraws the senses away from the external and brings mm-hmm. you inwards. You go there. You go yeah. there. You take it. You go with it. You fly with it. Yeah, I love it. The, uh, my, uh, my thesis in, in undergrad, was on um, Japanese appropriation of uh, Western cultures. Yeah, and so it, you know I'd learned you know that that sumo or f- uh, flower arrangement were uh, or Zen Buddhism were mm. all uh, Chinese or Korean mm. that they had appropriated to their culture, because as you said, there's a lens that they're looking for. Like there's something that they're looking mm. for. They're trying to get to a particular place. And this is one of those things, ah, yes, this will help me get to that place that I'm looking for, to that, uh, as in this instance, mm. a, a kind of stillness, as you're describing. And But there's also like there, you know, there's times um, in Japanese history where they didn't you know, quite get it right. You know, for example, <laughs> they're terrible impressionists. <laughs> And the worst impressionist paintings from the from the <laughs> early 1900s, or, you know, Japanese, like they were really like they were, there was something there that had the spirit of Japan that they liked, they couldn't quite master, mm. and so they they end up looking at uh, you, you as a Westerner, you end up looking at the Japanese with a kind of patronizing look, it's like, oh, that's really sweet, quaint, that's that's quaint, <laughs> that's really nice, and it's. And it reminds me, like, that might be how, you know, our teacher, Sharat, looks at us when we're doing <laughs> yoga. It's like, oh, that's really sweet. They're trying really hard, you know, but it's not quite there. But it's like, oh. Or maybe, you know, I don't know. I think any doorway that people walk through, and, I, and as someone who grew up mainly within a Hindu household, you know, and I'm going to temples, You'd see anyone walk through the door. My mum had a friend who had a vision, I think, of in her dream of Durga. Mm. Mm. You know, West African lady. And she started coming to the temple. And the, she told the priest and the Swami was like, well, you come. Do whatever Amazing. you feel you're comfortable with and just be here. You know, and that's, so that's one of the things that I find. And yeah, we know it's not always true. We know, we know what goes on in India. We, we've seen, you know, what's been going on over the last year, two years. We're not going to pretend that it's all love and light you know there as well oh you mean like the hindutva yeah yeah we can't claim that you know Mm. everyone's neutral in that stance Mm. Mm -hmm. um that's just my experience you know there's a bit of both but mainly there's a lot of sort of neutrality there and acceptance Mm -hmm. but um I think I'd like to hope on the whole that if someone wants to walk into a space with an open heart and say I'd like to learn Mm-hmm. The teacher's there. To, that's your job, right? So if the, if yeah. the students turned up and said, I want to learn, you, you just run with that and you go with that and you take them as, 
as far as that relationship can go, mm-hmm. you know, mm-hmm. and share yeah. as much as you can. It's not there for us to hold like the Brahmins do or did, you know, and still do. That's, mm-hmm. that's not the intention. It's there to be shared. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, people um, often ask me sometimes about like Sharat and, and his space that he's holding. Um, that's not exactly their words, but those mm. are how I'm going to describe yeah, yeah, yeah. it. <laughs> and, and I said, you know, always my opinion is, is I mean, Sharat and Guruji were my first yeah. real, I mean, authentic in my mind, yeah. <laughs> Ashtanga yoga teachers in, in the sense that I'd never been in a Mysore class yeah. like like for longer than a few days because I'd mm. only ever taken workshop style Mysore classes. Yeah. Um, we didn't have that where Doesn't, I was yeah. from. Yeah, same. So we didn't have a teacher really that was able to to hold that kind of teaching style and space. And so when I got to Mysore, it was like, whoa this is like real, this is authentic. It was like that experience you're, you're talking about walking into Eileen's yeah. room. I was like, holy, this is like, you feel like you've been transported to India. Yeah, <laughs> <laughs> but, but, and, and so many years, you know, I kept returning and going back and they were like my main teachers, of mm. course, like took me through intermediate and advanced series. Yeah. And, you know, and so I have so much like love and respect you know, for, mm-hmm. for them and for that um, experience and for their teachings and for that lineage and, and everything that they do, you know, within their, their mm. sort of sphere of influence. Um, and it's not that, you know, I've, I've agree with everything because no. I, I don't. No. <laughs> and it's not that I share all of the same opinions because I don't. No. But I also can see that, you know, Sherrod as a teacher is holding a very, what he feels is the most authentic space that he can hold Yeah. Um, that comes from the way that he was taught yeah. by his grandfather. And it is a very um, authentic space for him. And it is a very authentic way of teaching. And he is trying to stay as aligned and connected with how he was taught yeah yeah and, and that's all we can ever be done that's all we can ever yeah. do right Share and what... i really appreciate that like yeah. i just appreciate that um i don't know that originality or something not originality is in something new mm. but like as in from the origin of yeah. of where the, he came from the, the interesting thing about what you're saying is that it's, mm. there's also a, um an implication of constant recreation mm. of something that is original and so each generation has to fabricate mm. an authentic <laughs> original space to sure. make it real yeah. for the person who's coming in next. Yeah, I or mean, appropriate. And- <laughs> to, make it, to make it appropriate. So you have to appropriate it to make it appropriate. Yeah, because you, whoever walks through that door, I think I only know two people, like Eileen and Hamish, who mm-hmm. I've really seen and say, well, this is how we do it here. Yeah. And if yeah. you don't like it, yeah, you know, there are other teachers around that, that may be, you know. And Hamish, I think, yeah. has, has softened and Eileen has softened. And, you know, mm-hmm. I think we all soften and each space is really, really welcoming. But there is definitely this, this, and I love it, you know, as an example, even of 
just holding space for your teacher even I think that's as a student when you go mm-hmm. into a space and I think that comes with practice right you you become mm-hmm. more in tune with what the energy of the practice and the, and the community I remember mm-hmm. when we had the whole Guruji Patabi Joyce you know yeah. debacle every, everything coming out and yeah. you know lots of teachers still had his picture up and were, were criticized for it you know mm-hmm. and I and I didn't agree with having his picture up, but I wasn't going to walk away from my teacher. Mm-hmm. You know, I was, I was always going to, mm-hmm. I trusted that my teacher had a relationship with that person, you mm-hmm. know, that they revered. Mm-hmm. And I think ultimately it's that relationship on an individual basis that we can only look at. We can't, mm-hmm. we shouldn't try and judge everyone's relationship to one person based on how that person was with other people. Mm. Um, mm-hmm. And that, 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 that dissociation has to happen with time. And, mm-hmm. it, do, and it does happen, but it is, there's a dis- disentanglement that needs to happen with any relationship. And there's a time of sure. mourning and that yeah. process. So same, even for At the Chirac, same time, these same monuments have, have enormous power and they, they say things. And so, like, you know, if you're in... Um, you know, if if you're in in New Orleans and there's and you're in Lee Square and there's a giant statue of General Lee, you know, at a certain point you got to fucking take that down. Yeah, of course. <laughs> yeah, of course. <laughs> because you know he was a traitor to the yeah, country. Yeah. You know. But, um, <laughs> I was thinking. I was thinking about this as well. This came up. To, uh, I was thinking about you being Greek. Uh, no, <laughs> appropriated that. And that, she's seen a warrior princess. She's seen a warrior princess. It's like it was everything. Yeah. Yeah. <laughs> I was I was thinking about how uh, another kind of interesting appropriation that the United States was at the was uh, in its formation um, was at the height of the neo uh, classical movement, huh. and they appropriated all of these Greek columns right. for a particular purpose which was to intimidate their enslaved population, mm. but also intimidate foreigners who came to the, who, you know, deigned to come to the country. Yeah. And they would have to submit to the authority and power of, of what they presented. So this, so these columns have a, you know, um, their purpose is to, is, is about power. And I think it's interesting when very often cultural appropriation is about power. Mm. And I, I think, uh, um, Related to commerce and wealth, and, <laughs> yeah. And I think you really make a strong point there about how um, Instagram appropriation is is a, is about um, uh, uh, creating a market share for yourself, and there's an and it's enormously disempowering to those people that it's stolen from. Yeah, which is purposeful. Yeah. You well, know, I mean, I, I don't I <coughs> hope most people don't think of it that way. I think most people are good people and that they think actually I'm just doing it because it looks good or it looks cool or you know and but I hope now we've got enough wisdom out there we've got the internet it's not like we don't have access you know I mean we have access to articles that might give you a different perspective on things you know mm. from the again it depends on whether you're in an echo chamber and just listening to the same thing yeah. again and again but and I think especially in our spiritual, you know, wellness mm-hmm. world, things can just get, you know, smothered in. But I'm doing it for the good and I'm and I'm highlighting these people's plights and I'm supporting them in this way. And mm-hmm. and it can become very contrived and it can 
come from a place right. when it suits them to do right. it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. As opposed to doing it when it's really difficult to do it. Yeah. Mm-hmm. You know, it's like getting on your mat. Do you do it just because it's it's a it's a Monday and it feels a good way to start the week, or are you doing it, you know, on that Friday morning and it's been six days and you're exhausted, but you're still gonna get there. Or are you or are you are you actually going out to Red Square when the police <laughs> are there to take you away? Yeah. Yeah. Are you how committed are you? It's yeah. interesting. It's, yeah. Um, you know, there's there was a, we did the big fundraiser last year, a year ago, yeah. almost. It was in March for the, you know, when the um, COVID was at its height, I would say, in mm-hmm. India, and they were running out of oxygen yeah. tanks, and, you know, it was really um, dire. And so we did that big 24-hour mm-hmm. fundraiser. And there was someone on Instagram, speaking of social media, who was, um, you know, quite outspokenly criticizing. Well, first they were criticizing the Western teachers for not doing anything. And then we put together this fundraiser and then, of criticized course. Criticized for white saviorism. Yeah. yeah. And I got yeah. criticized for wow. appropriation and white saviorism and, and other things, which, yeah. you know, I You're... mean, everyone's allowed to yeah, have yeah, yeah, their perspective yeah. Yeah. and that's cool. You know, but she, this person went through and found like old photos that were taken that I took back in like 2007 when I was, you know, 20 something years old, you know, and back in 2007, everyone was doing it. (laughs) Yeah. We were, you know, we were at, uh, Sri, Sri Rangapatnam Mm. near the river. Yeah. I mean, we were outside. No, not ash, but it was just something that it wasn't like something that everybody was doing. It was for a particular project that a photographer was working on that he was doing. And he had asked me to do some, and it was, I had never done them in India. And it was the only time actually I did them twice in a different area in a field another time, but, (laughs) but, um, but she pulled out these photos and, you know, was like, Oh, this is really bad. And, you know, going on. That was then that was like, and how I many years of, ago? Yeah, 15. I was sort yeah. of like, you know, I don't know how far back can we go to like pull out, yeah. you know, a lot of a lot of education, a lot of a lot has changed yeah. in yeah, like was fifteen accept- years, right? Was acceptable then, you know, may not be acceptable now, but we can't base the na- the then on now, you know, by yes. the parameters that we use now, because as you said, there's more education, there's more. We've all changed. We've all broadened our, yeah. our perspectives on what we. We didn't mind think having our mula bandha, you know, adjusted <laughs> then, you know. Well, <laughs> I mean, in a way, I I feel like it. You know, that it is another example of just like how things have changed. Not that it was right, you know, not that necessarily it was less disrespectful no. then. It was just like like you were saying, we had these blind spots. We didn't think about it. We didn't know. There was no talk around it. Nobody was having this conversation. And we will always have blind spots. Just because yeah. we're having this conversation today doesn't mean, oh, that's it. We know everything there is to know about cultural yeah. appropriation or that we don't need to learn anything more or that things aren't going to change or terminology exactly. and language won't keep changing. And we just need to be okay with growth. I think that's the thing. We need to be yes. okay to know that we're not going to know everything. Um, yeah. And also we're not going to please everybody. Yeah. You know, we all yeah. come to this world with different traumas or we've experienced different traumas. And I think that's another part of our own responsibility as practitioners, if we have those blind spots, is to look at those blind spots within ourselves and say, well, what mm-hmm. triggers me? 
is it that I'm being triggered from a personal perspective? Is it that I'm actually think this, what I'm saying could be useful and helpful for the, for the many, not just for myself? Mm-hmm. Um, and what benefit is what I'm saying going to bring? Is it going to bring any benefit long term? Mm-hmm. Or am I just creating something in this moment because I feel it needs to be created in this moment and have no long term benefit? Mm-hmm. I think the long term benefit is really important. I feel like a lot of my social media posts have no long-term benefit. No, you'd be surprised. People will come back to that, you know, in two years and it will still be relevant. You know, that's so, the long-term benefit. I, I do have my, my doubts about that. I have to say, though, that when I, when I watch like something like the, the Country Music Awards, and I, I am also <laughs> deeply offended by the cultural appropriation <laughs> yeah. that's going on. Because like you see people and it's like, you like what you watched one Yellowstone episode, mm, mm. and now you're a fucking cowboy yeah. with no yeah, cattle, yeah, yeah. and yeah. you're up on stage with no cattle and <laughs> shaking your ass with a with a and like you're from Mass and like you're from Massachusetts, like fuck off. <laughs> I'm so offended, deeply offended. Like growing up poor in country yeah. in Louisiana, and and I'm like you're not fucking country. Like this is such deep. Ah, oh, it pisses me off. I get, I get triggered. Mm. But that's it. You know, we all feel. You know, wherever I think there's been pain, and mm. a, and 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 a tradition or a practice mm-hmm. or some sort of reverence has been born out of that pain. Some sort mm. of hope has been born out of yeah. that pain, and that hope is taken. Yeah. And you know, for lack of a better word, bastardized into something else. Yes, mm. that's Nashville. That- that's what I mean. <laughs> Mm, bastardized you know, I country think, yeah, culture yes i think that's where we sort of mm. go but and i and i don't mean change i mean bastardized has it been taken into yes. something that's completely for you know consumerism and just for consumption purposes right. rather than for transformation if you look at the blues as we were talking about before that you know mm. the blues came out of pain it came from the cotton fields right it came from that deep sorrow and if someone yeah. It's real. If singing the essence of blues from sorrow, then you feel that, regardless of whether they have ancestors that come from the cotton fields or not. Yeah, you really feel that. But if they don't have it, it ends up being plastic soul. It just becomes yeah, yeah. plastic soul. Yeah. I love that's a new huh. maybe, <laughs> maybe that's, a, that's a new form of music. That's a new genre. Right. So, you just created so, it. Um a uh, a blues artist, I forget who it was, told um <laughs> told john lennon that about the rolling stones oh that's plastic soul and so john really liked that term and then came up with the album rubber soul oh wow okay and then i think later on something like i don't know if it was all the fucking heroin but like the rolling (laughs) stones became truly authentically blues yeah and they really finally got there. I think it sometimes. <laughs> I think it was the I yoga. Think it takes a while, right? It takes a while. And I think that about like yoga teachers, like how much punishment, <laughs> like how much, how, like a, like a, how many, you know. Can we limit that just to Ashtanga yoga teachers? <laughs> <Yeah>. <laughs> uh, but it is kind of true when you think of like the journey of, of an Ashtanga practitioner, you kind of come into like the yoga class all like yeah. bright eyed yeah. and yeah. bushy tailed and yeah. like ready for yoga yeah, yeah. and then you're like oh my god what is this, this is and then brutal. like 
right? And then you brutalize yourself yeah. for like a number of years, and then you become really years. like authentically understanding what like, yoga no, is. That doesn't like, that brutality is not. It, was, it may have been necessary to get to the point where you understand yes. it's not necessary. It, it was necessary. Oh, yes. exactly. Yeah. Thank you very much. It was. <laughs> You had to take a beaker jar of abuse for 25 years to understand that it wasn't necessary to do that at all. Well, maybe not from other people, but maybe we self-inflict it. You know, we but know. also yeah. then it moves you too into like other disciplines, right? Oh, for sure. Like I you think... don't necessarily walk into yoga like, oh, I want to be vegetarian and no. I want to tell the truth and clean up my life. No. And... <laughs> no one does I mean, that. <laughs> I think I walked into it. I mean, I, I think I walked into it, but, uh, you know, it was brought to me and I, I was tuned into it. So I think my, my journey yeah. was always but different to someone who says, you know, I came to it because I felt like I wanted to stretch my hamstrings. Like right. that, mm, that yeah. wasn't my journey. And I'm not going to sit there and say, oh, that was my journey. Or, but, yeah. or show off how, how long my hamstrings are. Yeah, you know, but mm, I yeah. think that I felt... Um, I felt called to the to being in that room and being on that mat, mm-hmm. but I can understand that there are people that literally just want to feel feel something right in their yeah. body, and they're being called to feel something. And the language that they have is, "I want to stretch something" or "I want to strengthen mm-hmm. something," mm-hmm. and that's the language that's appropriate for them <laughs> to understand right. what it you know that it, there's a need to come into their body, and they don't really have you know in our culture you know, Western culture, we don't have the framework to understand that human need to come into the body other right. than, and when it does happen, what do we do? We say, oh, we're going to go out and have a drink and we numb it out. Right. You know, right. Yeah. Or we abuse the alcohol to numb it out. It's not just a social yeah. thing where we just enjoy it. We're not just enjoying that alcohol. We, we use, yeah. take it to a point where we numb ourselves out. Yeah. And I yeah. think you're right. The, the asana practice for me lent it so much, lent so much of itself to opening other doors, to exploring other ways to experience the deeper levels of practice, whether that's mantra. And mantra has been massive for me, you know, mm. just hugely empowering, healing, mm. so healing um, to the point where, you know, again, that sort of teenage rebellious where you're part of you, where your mum says to do it and you don't want to do it. And then <laughs> 20 years down the line, you go, I should have been doing it all this time. <laughs> <laughs> yeah. Exactly. And that mantra for me was that, yeah, ah. sitting sitting in stillness. I couldn't do that when I was younger. I couldn't sit. I needed that movement of the asana practice. Mm, mm-hmm, mm-hmm. You know, the, there's something really um, beautiful about that, and I, about that coming around to an idea and coming around to you know a notion that you you learned early. You know, you had those those beautiful um, memories about practicing yoga with your mom you know, when you were five. Um, you kind of remind me of a friend of mine. I was thinking about this, uh, Naki Duong, who was a student of mine in, in San Francisco, who was a fabulously wealthy pharmacist who gave that up to become a like a, a Vidal Sassoon hairstylist. Oh, wow. Which was, you know, like one-tenth of the money. yeah. You know? Oh, and you, 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 did, you did something quite similar. You you had a physically demanding job in dentistry that was really taking a toll on you. Yeah. And you left that for a physically demanding yoga job for one-tenth. Hun- for a hundredth of it, or a thousandth of it. Well, yeah. of the pay. <laughs> And I wonder, if, I wonder if you could, how did, how did you come to make that choice? Like, how did that, how did you come mm. around to be who you are now? Well, I think um, sublimely there was, it was always there. Whether I wanted that path, and I think yoga 
I've heard it. I think it was in one of your last podcasts, but it it, it resonates so much. Yoga's always been that best friend, mm. a bit like Krishna and Arjuna. Ex- you know, mm. in fact, exactly that. That you know, I don't yeah. ask anything of you, but I'm always going to be here. And when you need me, and when you're, when the time's ready, I'm going to take you on that battlefield. <laughs> I'm going to yeah. take you off there. And so for the, I, I think it was my final year of dentistry. But one of our friends on the course is a really good photographer, and he wanted to create a yoga. Um, uh, end of year book for yeah. us and the graduation book and he sent us all some questions and was taking photos of us on clinic and one of the questions was what will you be doing in 10 years time and I mean I was literally still only going to this twice a week class and you know but practicing my Mysore practice at home you know doing my own I didn't have a, a Mysore practice as such in a, in a shala mm-hmm. but I said I'll be teaching yoga in 10 years so I had no idea <laughs> had no idea how I was mm-hmm. and it wasn't even it was almost like a like a flippant comment that I like yeah. a joke. I'm going to be teaching yoga in ten years, ha ha, because I'm always off to yoga. Right. Everyone knew that I was always I couldn't stay out late because I wanted to get up in the morning to practice. And yeah, and that's exactly what happened. You know, so be careful what you wish for and what you manifest. Mm. Um, that's so interesting. I had a really similar experience, not with the the photographer or the yearbook, but, <laughs> but also just like even before I really was like that into yoga, I was just like kind of into it I just had this like yearning to like know more and to like under like just to practice and like I was just like seeking yeah but it was like almost like a like a voice or something from inside that was like you're gonna teach yoga but I mean it was like I'm gonna teach yoga and I was like I don't even I don't even know what really how to do yoga but (laughs) that's what I want to do I remember you know I think I was in my (laughs) second year at dentistry Vicky came and gave me this book because she had started teaching me some third series postures and some she was mixing it up you know yeah yeah and she said here's this book yeah you need to go and study with this teacher because I can't take you any further and it was David Swenson's book right nice and I was like well (laughs) Thanks, Vicky. Love you very much. But I'm off to become a doctor. I'm off to become a dentist. Like I'm, yeah. I'm, I'm, gonna, I'm the weight of the world is on my shoulders. I'm going to become the first doctor in the family. I'm off. You know, yeah. that's yeah. not a thing. That's mm-hmm. for Europeans that go off and do that, right? You know, we yes, don't do that. Yes. No. Right. So then I guess by the time I got to about five or six years of teach of working as a dentist, my body had started to really feel the pain of mm. like eight hours mm-hmm. of sitting and twisting and yeah nhs work is, is brutal like it's back-to-back yeah. patients but i really wanted public to stay health in, network yeah. yeah so in the national health service i really wanted to stay in the nhs though i felt a real calling that treatment even though it's not free it's still reasonably affordable even though the papers will say it's not you know but it Right. <laughs> you know, it is still right. reasonably affordable there's only three yeah. layers of payment and you know for if you're genuine, if you really can't afford it, it is free. You know, if you're right. if you're on benefits or you know you receive yeah. government help, it is free. And I felt really impassioned to stay at that point because I wanted mm-hmm. of, of work because I wanted to support that and support people who needed that help. Yeah. And I feel very mm-hmm. proud that we could do that. We we're in a country, and I was privileged yeah. enough to be able to go and study right and be able to give back yeah. in some way and not just rinse the private sector. When your country takes care Beautiful. of everyone, you feel a sense of pride to it. I think so. My parents had worked in the NHS for 40 years and, you know, I just felt really deeply connected to that. But then the the That's for our American listeners. (laughs) I just wanted to to let them know that's how it feels. Yeah. Yeah. And then, yeah. Feel good about it. Yeah. Yeah. And then, but it was starting to take its toll and I was, 
I did a teacher training at Trioga and that was two years long. And I specifically chose that because I wanted that length of time. Mm-hmm. I could have spent a month, I could have taken a month off and gone off somewhere and done right. some fast track thing, but yeah. I felt that need that we need that time to tra- 